This morning, we're going to start a new series, a new book, and I'm, ex- I'm excited about this, but it took me a while to get excited about it. Actually, nice, um, towards the end of our last book study, I felt the Lord press and we're going to go this way, and, and I kind of wrestled with them a little bit, because like, oh, I'm not sure if we're ready for that, I'm not sure we should go there, that's a lot to take on, and, uh, and so I didn't want to do it, and so, but now we're here, and so the Lord went out, and uh, I, I conceded. And, uh, and so that's what we're here. We're here, and you'll see the title. Chris will put the title up for you. We're going to the book Acts. And the book of Acts is like a foundational book. Like, that's a Pentecostal book, right? You mentioned the book of Acts to some Baptist people, and all they think is you're swinging from the raptors through the book of Acts. And so, but the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit, and it's the leading of the Holy Spirit. And all throughout, it's about following the Spirit, right? But the important thing to know is the title we're giving this message is The Movement. Right, and because that's what it is. You hear that. You hear you, when somebody says Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles. They're doing stuff, right? But this is a movement, and I want to ask you a question this morning. When you hear the word church, what comes to your mind? You know, you don't have to shout it out to me. But what is, what comes to your mind? And when I say church, what do you think of? You know, some of you right now you're thinking beans and cornbread and fried potatoes. You know, like oh come on. But what do you think of when you you think of church? You know, well, that's a you know. It's a nice place to come, nice place to visit. Uh, church is where we go to hear the, the pastor get mad at us and yell at us. I mean, I mean, what you know, what what kind of things? If you think about it, whatever you're thinking of right now is probably so far off from what the first century church thought when you said church, because the first church at its, in it, at its inception was a movement, right? If you think about the Acts, the church we're going to be learning about in the book of Acts, it's a movement. Chapter 1 is the beginning of that movement. And that movement is all built around what? It's all built around Jesus Christ and this new covenant that he introduced to the people, right? This new covenant that doesn't matter what background you're from, what nationality you're from, but you get the same Jesus as the Jewish people's. And that Jesus came and died on the cross for you. And that's the movement. That's what everybody got behind. That's what sparked it. And that's what set fire to the early church. And so it was a movement, right? In the Greek, the New Testament, the word Greek uh, church means ekklesia. I know. I'm getting, I just got to slow down. I'm getting too hurry. Ekklesia. And look what it means. An assembly or a gathering. And that's where we usually stop. Assembly or a gathering. The church is good at an assembly or a gathering, aren't we? Especially if you throw in food. Food's how we lure you guys out. I don't know if you know that or not. But we say food, especially pie around here. It's like we got them lined up around the block, right? And so, but, and so we like the idea of assembly or a gathering, but we've forgotten about the rest of that. That it's around an ideal, right? And if you break that word down, the E-K it means out of, and the kalo means called out. So basically, you can think of it as an assembly of people called out around an ideal, right? But over the years, something's happened to that definition. We've kind of muddied it, we've we diluted it, and it's no longer that we're called out around an ideal, right? Look how it's changed. Uh, people begin to think of a church as a place you went for a religious service, and some of you are here today because of that simple fact of tradition. Out of tradition, you go to church because you go to church because it's a religious service and you feel good about yourself. You feel good about punching that 
a spiritual time clock. And so some way we went from a movement to a religious service. And actually, you know, our Greek word, our English word for church didn't come from a Greek word, but it came from a German word called kretsch. It means a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. You see how it shifted? It was a place, a, a gathering assembly around an ideal, but now it shifted to a place for religious purposes. And that shift in thinking changed the fundamental way people relate to church. And we see that all across the country. There's a lot of Christians out there that go to church for religious activity. You know, we were home at Christmas time, at Christmas Eve. We, our brother-in-law, it was, it was great. Get the whole family together to go to a Christmas Eve service, right? It was a great service, a great church. Let me say, just a great church. But they advertised it as their Christmas Eve experience. Nothing wrong with that, but that just paints a picture for you, doesn't it? People want an experience. So they can say they went to church. They can do Insta posts. They can do Facebook posts. Hey, I'm Christmas Eve. I think uh, the one thirty experience or whatever, you know. And, and that's what it's boiled down to. It went from this movement to just participating in religious experiences. And throughout the dark ages, people went to church. And it was a place you attended. It wasn't, it wasn't just a, a, a part of religious services. It was a movement, right? And search, so then, but then the church started fading into a church become an institution. This institution provided services for people, and it, it was controlled by powerful people, right? And so the church became controlled, used by powerful people to push their propaganda, right? And out of that, you know, if you study the, the history of the church much, uh, the, people called it, came out called reformers, Right? And one of the English reformers that came out of that was a guy named, by, by the name of Tyndale. Most of you probably have a Bible by Tyndale, right? But Tyndale came to the conviction that Christianity was essentially a movement. And that people were going to be devoted to the movement. They had to understand the message. And so he took it upon himself to write the Bible in common English. Which you're like, wow, that is common English? That's crazy. Yes, back in the day, King James Version was common English, right? And so, but that's what he came, he took upon himself to write this. And every time he came to that word, ecclesia, for church, he changed it to congregation. Because he was trying to emphasize that the church was not a place you went to, but a movement you belonged to. Well, of course, if you knew this, you understand this, the religious elite did not like this, right? He was kind of poking at their power. And so they brought him up on charges, and they took him to trial. They wanted to burn him at the stake. And at his trial, he said this. He said, if God spares my life, ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more scriptures than you do. You talk about poking a bear at a bad time. That was not a good thing for him. But he was getting his point across. He's like, they, they didn't even know the scriptures, right? It's a movement. In his last recorded words, he was tied to the, to the stake. He was in the fire. They're lying in the fire. His last words were, Lord Open the king of England's eyes. And if you have a copy of the, new, new, the, the King James Version, you understand that God answered his prayer because the Lord opened his eyes. But this is what the church is. 
It's an assembly built around a movement. And the danger of church in every age is it ceases to be a movement and it turns to religious experience. Or even worse, it's a place you simply attend. My heart, what God is stirring in my heart is we be more than a Sunday church. If we're just a Sunday church, I have failed as a pastor. Because if we're just a Sunday church, you just come for experience. You come to get the Pentecostal goosebumps. You, you come for the worship. You come for and they sing your song. You can really get behind it. I mean, when Chase and Alicia sing that song in the end, I mean, it's powerful, you know. And you come for that, and that's good enough. Then we're just a Sunday church. Because you guys are the most important things about Brighton Assembly. Because you leave and you go out of these four walls, and you go to your neighborhoods, you go to your families, you go to your co-workers, and you are the church. And if we're only a Sunday church, that's not happening, and we fail at life. Then we're just a religious organization. We're not a movement. We have to become a movement. So the question for you this weekend, are we as a church just doing ministry? Are we just running an institution, or are we a part of a movement? For you, is a church a place you attend or is it a movement that you're part of? So let's look at it. Let's look at Acts. We're going to look through the first six or eight verses here. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Verse 5. For John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So you see that Luke is writing to Theophilus. And what you need to understand is, is in the book of Luke, you can look at Luke and Acts as volume 1 and volume 2, right? And so here we see Luke referred to Theophilus, and what he is is he's a Gentile, and he's kind of one of the fence believers is what we, we know to understand about this. And what the book of Luke and the book of Acts is meant to do is meant to give the Gentile church a history of the beginning of the church, Right? And so the, the book of Acts actually covers the first 33 years of the church history. I mean, amazing. This is a church. This is a movement we see. And what we're at, what we're reading at, Jesus is just resurrected from the dead. He gathered his disciples together on a hilltop, and he gives them this promise, right? And what's the promise? The promise is the Holy Spirit. And then let's read on in verse 6. So when they come, when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This is interesting. In other words, it's like, what's your next move? Remember, they're still thinking this. They're still thinking small picture. And Jesus is like out here. So like, all right, is now when you kick out Rome? Is now when you establish your kingdom? Is now when we rule with you? They're like, okay, what's next, right? And then he goes on in verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or season. Don't you hate that answer? Come on, let's be honest. We're in church. You're praying for somebody like, God, this week would be great, you know? And God's like, yeah, I'm thinking like six months. Like, no, this week could really be good. You know, but he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my what? Witness. 
This is awesome. It didn't say you're going to be my preacher. It didn't say you're going to be my evangelist. It says you're going to be my witness. What is a witness? It's very simple. You tell what you saw. Doesn't get more difficult than that, does it? Like, no, that's simple, right? You're a witness. Every one of you are a witness. You have a responsibility to tell what you saw, to tell what God did in your life. I was this way. Now I'm this way. God did this to me. I had this problem. Now I'm healed. And now look what God did. You're a witness. I love the trio song. Ask the blind man. He saw it all, right? I mean, that's it. You just tell what you saw. And that's why every one of us, we make it too difficult. Oh, I got to pound him over the head with the Romans robe. No. That's great if you know that. That's only going to add to your testimony. But all you got to do is tell what happened to your life. I was a wretched mess, and now I'm not. God is the only reason for that. I mean, that's all you got to do. A witness, right? You don't have to make anything up. You just tell what you saw. It says, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, this has got to be the strangest scene for the disciples. Think about it. He gives them the largest assignment you could ever imagine. Hardly any explanation. It says peace. That's what he does. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second, Jesus. The whole world? You know, he's ascending to heaven. He's like, yeah, the whole world. They're like, have you? It's a, it's a lot. He goes, yeah, I can see up here. It's a lot. The whole world. Yeah, I know. And this is where it begins. So over 2,000 years ago, we reaped the benefit from this movement of these 12 fishermen, the tax collectors. This is what resulted in this. And now we are responsible for this movement and not letting it become just a religious organization. That we are part of a movement. An important thing about this movement, the message captured their hearts and their minds of the apostles. The message captured the heart and the mind of the apostles. Their conviction was that Jesus had died as a substitute for sinners. He wasn't another prophet. He wasn't another um, make-to-believe Messiah. He was the real deal. That God sent him on an operation to save us. That he was crucified because of our rebellion. Because of uh, people like you and I who want to run our own lives rather than submit to God the Creator. They believe that Jesus raised from the dead. They believe it because they seen it. What they seen it with their own eyes. They were witnesses to all that God had done. The apostles understood that if if this was true, that this was the greatest act of grace ever imaginable. That the God, the Creator, dying for the rebellious children. And if this was true, then there's not multiple ways to get to God. There's only one way to get to God. That's through Jesus Christ, right? If this is true, that doesn't mean it, if you could. If it wasn't true, don't you think God would have told Jesus in the garden when Jesus said, "God, if there's any other way, don't you think God would have said, "Yeah, if you're just good and decent, then there's a way." He did it, did he? He said, "No, you got to go through with it." Why? Because there's only one way to get to heaven, and so they witnessed this. They understood this. They understood that Jesus said, "I am the truth, the way, and the life," and the apostles believed him. Acts chapter four twelve. Paul says it this way about the apostles' message. He said, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given men by which we must be saved. This is the only way. They witnessed it with their own eyes. 
and they would take this message all over the world. Why? Because they, they capture it in their head, and they capture it in their hearts. That's why this was a movement for them. It wasn't just an experience. A story that mom told you, a story that grandma told you, or you're just here because your, your spouse brought you, or you're just punching that time clock. But they believed it in their mind and their, 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 their heart. I mean, they, think about it. They, got, they saw God command the hurricanes. They saw him converse with angels. They saw him control demons. They saw him walk on water. They saw him heal leopards. They saw him raise the dead to life. They saw all this. And they said, you're a God that has to be worshipped. And then when they were dragged, the apostles were dragged in front of the Sanhedrin. They tell them, if you don't shut up about Jesus, we're going to kill you. They said, well, do what you got to do. But we got to remain faithful to the Savior. Why would they say something like that? Because they were part of a movement. Because it wasn't just an activity that they took part of because it's, it's fun, because they feed us well, because there's good company, because there's good music, because the temperatures. It wasn't none of that. It was because God grabbed a hold of their heart and they witnessed with their own eyes, they saw in their own lives. The tax collector that nobody would talk to is now serving Jesus. You know, he had a testimony. I was this. I was your worst enemy. Now I'm loving Jesus. The only reason I know I'm sitting here, not there, is because this man, he was a witness to what God had done in his life. Here's a question. Do you believe this testimony? I mean, has it captured your heart until you can't shut up about it? Are you willing to take it anywhere? Are you willing to give up anything for it? If you're not, then you're not part of the movement. Movements move. Are you moving? Some of you are like, Pastor, we're never giving you another day off. <laughs> Just stick with me, it gets worse. I mean, there's no such thing as someone who really believes the gospel and sits on the sidelines. Come on, if you ever played sports, you know this. If you love the sport, it kills you to sit on the sideline, don't it? It's like, I want to be in there. I want to do that. I can do that. It's like this illustration of a Reader's Digest, again, telling my age. Reader's Digest had a story about there was a snowstorm in this town, and a bridge was out. And the cars were just driving towards the bridge like normal, and they were falling right into the river. So one guy realizes what's going on, so he... He gets out, and he's standing in the road, hollering at people. And, you know, imagine if somebody's on the road hollering at you. What are you going to do? Shut up. You know, you're saying, you're an idiot. You know, you'll be kind to them, but, you know, you know, you're crazy. And you just keep, so they kept on driving. They kept on going off the cliff. So finally, he takes his jacket off, and he stands smack dab in the middle of the road, waving his jacket, and the next guy stops. He's like, what are you doing? You're going to get hit. You're going to get killed out here. And he said, the bridge is out. You're going to die if you keep going. So the guy parks his car sideways, gets out, and he helps stops all the traffic. This man believed in the message, right? The apostles had been captured by the message. Have you? Or have we grown comfortable with the message? In our comfort, we've become a cruise ship. Everybody keeps telling me about cruises. I'm, just, I'm not sold on it yet. Like, that mean people packed on a little boat? I'm just not sold on it yet. Like, oh, you can get whatever you want. Whatever time of day, you can get all the food. There's, there's all kinds of shows. There's all kinds of games. I'm like, yeah, so, you know, it takes a little bit for me. But in our comfort, 
we become that cruise ship. Lure you in with all you can eat catfish. I mean, come on, you got me sold. Have you become comfortable with the message? And it's gone from a movement that's gathered around an ideal to now we're just doing a religious activity. So the apostles got it in their head and they got it in their heart. And I need to hurry. Secondly, the apostles yielded themselves to the leadership of the Spirit. Have you? Again, this had to be the strangest scene in the New Testament. After laying out the Great Commission, he leaves him. You think about this, this huge, important assignment left to the least capable people. And he says, good luck. But here's a clue. Go back to verse 1. So verse 1 says, in the first book, I'm talking about Luke, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Begin implies a continuation, right? And so what he's talking about, he's talking about in the, in the book of Luke, we talk about Jesus' work in the flesh, in the body. But now in the, in the book of Acts, we're talking about his work in the spirit. It's a continuation of the book of Acts. That's what it is, his work in the flesh, his work in the spirit. And he's invited the church not to do it for him. And this is the beautiful thing about God. He doesn't need us. But he's invited the church not to do it for him, but to join him as he does it through us. He wants to use us to be a part of this movement to push the gospel forward, to push that good news for us. Acts 1, Acts 1 8, he tells them, what? Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And imagine some of the apostles, we understand, they were kind of type A personalities, right? They're like, wait, people are dying. We got to get to work. We got to get organized. We got books to write. We got leadership conferences to do. He's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Pump the brakes. He's trying to show them it's not something they can do for themselves. They, they can do by themselves, but something they can, he can do through them, right? In every chapter in Acts, you're going to get the sense that the church, this is beautiful. Every chapter in Acts, we're going to see that the church is following the Spirit. They're being led by the Spirit. Oh, Lord, you want us to go here? Okay, we're going to go there. Oh, you want me to talk to that person? Okay, I'm going to go talk to that person. You felt that before in your own life. There's been times, I'm sure of it, in your own life, you've had the sense, hey, I need to reach out to that person. Or you get the crazy idea in the car, oh, I need to text so-and-so. I haven't talked to him in three years, but I should text him. That's the Holy Spirit prompting you. If we follow and lead the guiding of our Holy Spirit, we're going to be in a better place. And they simply yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit. Have you yielded yourself to the Holy Spirit? And if you ever read the book of Acts, have you read and noticed it doesn't really have an ending? It's like a cliffhanger. You know, Paul goes to Rome, he preaches the good news, he ends up in prison. We don't know, is he going to win convert, converts, is he not? And it just ends. That's because the movement just started. And we got to take up the movement. The Spirit of God's moving in people's lives and the Great Commission is your responsibility. You are called to be a witness. What have you seen? What do you know? So I want us to read verse 8, and it's a promise of Jesus to you. Now I want you to kind of, we're going to modify a little bit. I want you to insert your own name. But you, Brent Hurt, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness of Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and the end of the earth. 
That's powerful. I want to take a, a, a side, side road here. If Riley, can you come on up? I, I want to explain something to you about the Holy Spirit. This is what we believe and according to the Word of God. Okay? And so, remember how I, I want you to be biblical, liter, literal, literacy? And so, I want to give you some scriptures, but if you, this really challenges you, you, you research it for yourself, okay? Because in some ways, God, this is what we believe to be true. And it might freak some of you out, like a little alien. Remember that moving alien, that thing growing inside of you? But here's it is, right? Some of you never thought of it this way, but let me tell you. When you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, you receive the Holy Spirit. So you're like, well, hang on a second. I didn't ask for that. No, you, you gave your heart to Jesus, and so you received the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me show you in Scripture, John 20, verse 20 to 22. It said, and when he said this, he showed them his hands. This is after resurrection. This is Jesus. He showed them his hands. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And here's a very important verse, verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is before Acts, right? This is in John. It says he breathed on them and he received the Holy Spirit. So this picture, what they want you to see, what scripture wants you to see, is they want you to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God made Adam, right? What did God do next? After Adam was laying there, what did he, his Bible says, he, God did what? Breathe into Adam. We see Adam come to life. Creation, right? A new person. That's the picture they're wanting you to see here. God breathing him. It, it's Jesus giving the Spirit in order for the new creation to come forth. That's the new covenant, right? Because we're all, what, dead in our sins. We need life. And when you give your heart to Jesus, he opens you up and breathes his spirit into you. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the new regeneration. That's the new covenant. The old's gone. The new's here. So when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you experience that new covenant, and he fills you with the Holy Spirit. No more dead animal sacrifices, none of that. So now that everybody's really confused, let me read you John 14, 17. It says, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, for you know him. He dwells in you, and you in him. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? So in Scripture, in Scripture, we can clearly see that disciples receive the Holy Spirit. But then we come to Acts 1.8, and it says, wait, wait until I send the power down. Let me, let me show you what this means. Let me kind of describe to you what this means as, as best as I can. So this, this picture here, this represents you, you and I, right? We are dead. We have nothing. You know, we understand this concept. You know, you have friends like this. They're trying to fill their life with all this garbage. 
you know, if I can do this, I can do, if I can get this, I can make this, I can achieve this, I can get that, that girlfriend, if I can do this much money, I fill this up because we're empty, right? But then when you decide to come to Jesus, he does a glorious thing, doesn't he? The Bible says he fills us up, right? And so in that moment, you give your heart, what Jesus does is breathes life into you. And then you have the Holy Spirit in you, right? And so every one of us, if you say, Jesus is my Lord, you have the Holy Spirit. And this represents you. But isn't it interesting? Jesus then says, well, don't go anywhere until you get filled with the Holy Spirit. So the difference is we can go, a lot of Christians try to conquer life this way. And you might do it, you might not do it. It's going to be really challenging to do this. Why is it going to be challenging to do it like this? Because there's those people out there. Come on. Some of you are them. That drive you nuts. That get on your very last nerve. That you try to show love to and they throw in your face. And you get so aggravated. And we don't have it in us to respond like we should. And so we try on our own power to respond and we end up failing. We try on our own power to love and we don't. And so he's telling his disciples, wait. Like, oh, I got to go witness. I got to go save the world. I got to go do this. He said, hang on, hang on. Why? Because we all have the Holy Spirit in us. But then he said, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? And said, here's what the Holy Spirit does then. He said, wait. No, no, you're not ready yet. Nope, hang on a second. You're not ready yet. No, no, no. Don't, don't start yet. Don't go. Don't go. Okay. Okay, now go. 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 You know why? Because all these people around here, they're getting splashed on. All those people around you, all those people in your life, you're just spewing the Holy Spirit everywhere you go because he's flowing over. You're baptizing the Holy Spirit. You can't help but to show the love of Jesus. You can't help but tell people, hey, I know this guy. <laughs> I know this guy. I was broken, but he fixed me. I know this because you're overflowed. And so that's where I want to make sure you saw the clear distinction. If every one of you, if you give your heart to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. But Jesus says, wait, wait, <laughs> wait, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. And then you're filled, you're overflowing. And believe me, this book of Acts, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. We're going to give a chances for the Holy Spirit to move in your life. There's a huge part, a difference of being a religious experience or part of a movement is if you're overflowing with the Holy Spirit or you're just getting by. Spurgeon said this with Charles Spurgeon. said this way. He said, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it to your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to a friend. Without the charms of eloquency, you'll be more eloquent. Your heart will speak. Your eyes will flash as you talk about his sweet love. <laughs> That's when we know it's a movement and not a religious experience. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either spreading 
abroad the kingdom of Christ or you don't love him at all. You're like, Pastor, you're being very hard today. We got to be more in a Sunday church. You can't have a high appreciation of Jesus and a silent tongue. They, they just don't go together. If you really know Christ, it's like when you find honey, you can't wait to tell everybody, oh, you got to wait to taste this honey. It's like the homeless man that found an abundant supply of food. He telling everybody, oh, I found food, I found food, I found food. I found life, I found life, I found life. You can't stop talking about it because you're part of a movement. Movements move. If you're not moving, have you believed the message? The two core principles, and we talked about them. Radical, deep-seated belief in the message. Yielding to the Spirit. In line of that, here's how I see our church. I want us to be a movement. I want us to be empowered and released to follow the Spirit. Because here's the honesty. The greatest ministry happens outside these four walls, and it's by you. You are bright and assembly. You are the church. So let's not be that cruise ship. Let's be a battleship. Like, come on, we get refueled and get sent out to do the work, to do the mission. We want to be a movement. I don't want to be a place where you just come. We got a we got a nice church. We got good on the video. We got the lights. We got the no smoke yet. I've resisted the smoke, but maybe one day. Not because we got all the fancy stuff. Because you're part of a movement. And it, look what happens when you're part of a movement. Guess what? That could really squash a lot of church hurt, can it? Like, oh, you go to that church. Oh, you go to that church. No, I, I belong to a movement of God. We're all part of a movement of God. Movements move. If you're not moving, do you believe? Here's the danger for all of us. Complacency in the Christian life always points that you're out of touch with the movement. Complacency. Well, it, it's comfortable here, Pastor. I'm glad you're comfortable. I don't want you to be complacent. I don't want us to meet for religious activity. I want us to meet to be challenged, to get with God, to get filled up, get to overflowing. So when we go out, you go out, you're bumping into people, and that's just spilling out of you. You're just getting everywhere because you're just full of the Holy Spirit. Because you believe the message in your head and in your heart, and you're engaged in a mission. Would you stand with us? for you this morning. Are you part of a movement? Are you just part of religious activity? I'd like for you to be honest with yourself this morning. Ask yourself the question. Answer the question in your heart. And here's where we're going to close this. We're going to just make it a time of prayer. Okay? Pray at your seat. Come down front. I'd like to challenge you to say, yes, I am part of a movement. And don't just say it to make pastor happy. That means you got work to do. That means you got to get close to God so you can take what he gives you to those around you. 
That means you got to be close to God so you can put up with a person in your life that you're ready to strangle. You got to get close to God so you can show that person love. You got to get close to God when that doctor gives you news, you can smile and everybody's like, why are you smiling? Because I know the movement. I know God. I couldn't see. Now I can see. That's all I know. I was lost. Now I'm found. I deserve it. That's what I know. That's a movement. I want us all to be part of the movement. I want us to radically change our community this year because we're part of the movement, not just part of a church. So this morning, I want you to bow your knee, stand. Would you commit to be part of the movement this morning? Would you join me in prayer as the worship team leads us?